Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The speakers here at the UFO conference. This is Timothy Good, and he comes to us all the way from England, but we're not doing it on from England tonight because he's here to talk. But it's Timothy Good. Say hello to everybody. Good evening. Hi, everybody. <laughs> okay. And, um, and I told him, we'll be talking for a whole hour here. I've known Timothy for many years now. He's been coming to this conference uh, regularly as a regular speaker because he has many books out, and you're really in demand everywhere to speak, aren't you? Well, sometimes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's when I see you when you come to the States. Anyhow. Right. All right. Well, I want Timothy to tell us a little bit about himself and how he got into all of this. Well, you know, Dolores, it goes back to 1955. That's right. That's long way back. Two years ago. And I've always been mad about aircraft and space travel. Uh-huh. So when an American cousin, a guy called Edmund C. Berkeley, who actually was editor of the first magazine on computers in the computers. United States, in, in, in the 1940s. It's called Computers and Automation. Uh-huh. He presented me with this book by Donald Kehoe, The Flying Source of the Real. Oh, I remember that's one of the beginning, wasn't it? Absolutely. This was, this was in 1955, and he said, Timothy, you like airplanes and space travel? You need to know about flying saucers. So that's how my interest began. And then when I read how many military and civilian pilots were seeing these things, uh-huh and that they were being confirmed on radar by air traffic controllers and others, I got hooked completely. Mm. I, it, it, this wasn't science fiction. I mean, the cover of the book, I, I remember, a very sort of garish cover. Mm-hmm. It looked like something out of, uh, I don't know, one of the sort of pulp. But you know, even in those early days, they were trying to discredit all of it. They were, and, and it's interesting that Kehoe was the first to expose the cover-up because he had very high-level contacts in the Pentagon mm, and CIA okay. and Air Force Intelligence, for example. And, um, well, I mean, the cover-up is proven. There's absolutely no question about it. I'm, I'm surprised anybody has a slight oh, doubt it. about it. I mean, I, I find it very puzzling. Me too, because, you know, we're so much into this that we know it exists. There's mm. no way you can say it doesn't. That's why when it comes to these conferences, like they're preaching to the choir, because yeah, we yeah. already know it all about everything that's going on. But in the 50s, you must have been pretty young then when you had your interest first. I, I was, yes. I was about 13, 14 years old, something, uh-huh. like, something like that at that time. Very vulnerable age, and that's when yeah. it, it hit you there. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I've not looked back. And then in 1961, mm-hmm. I bought 
the report on unidentified flying objects by Captain Ed Ruppelt, who headed um, Air, Air Force's um, second or third, actually, third and final project, known as Project Blue Book. He was oh, an yeah. Air Force intelligence officer, mm -hmm. um, a very good man. He's still a hero of mine, like Keno, mm -hmm. and he wrote that book is, was really really quite extraordinary, even by today's standards, the amount of information he was able to come out with. You know, in our very first conference we ever had here, 20 years ago, was before Lou took it on, Bill Pitts did the first one, and we only had like not even 50 people here. Right. And we had these experts from Washington, the ones that were involved with the Blue Book Project and the Project Grudge from the very beginning. And one thing we liked about it is this gave us our background so we would know the background of the whole UFO phenomenon. Right. So we, I know who you're talking about. These were people that came from Washington and gave what they knew, but a lot of them still were denying. Well, cool. You know, but then that was somebody in the audience said, oh, yeah, you'll lose your pension if you say it's real. Yeah. So I know who you're talking about. This is the very early days. Absolutely, and really nothing much has changed. <laughs> in fact, it's astonishing how much information did get out. I mean, um, as uh, one of the guys today was, was saying, I mean, there was tons of stuff getting out, and it really had to be had to be shut down. I mean, I think the CIA and the Air Force Intelligence and the other people, this had become a national security matter. They had to uh, sit on it. So they said they had a great deal coming out yeah. in those early days. And uh, and Terry Hansen, who was the, the last speaker to, yeah. um, just before our break here, I mean, he's terrific. I, I, I have the highest admiration for him. And I told Lou Farish, the organizer of the conference, to get him at all costs. And he's, he's absolutely wonderful. Uh -huh. He's written a book called The Missing Times. And which, what is that uh, He is a professional um, uh, reporter. Uh -huh. you know, with degrees in journalism and so forth, and he's exposed all sorts of tricks that are used by the media, because mm. the media literally is, is controlled. Oh, it is, definitely. I know that. So, um, and I'm sure many of your listeners are aware of that. But, you know, uh, one thing that I always tell people, I, go to, I travel a lot, and I go to Europe a lot. In Europe, you're going to get the real news. You come back here, and you don't hear it. Well, I'm afraid to say that it's, it's, it's also global. censored over there, too. Then. It's global. If something really sensitive gets out, um, it will either be debunked or, or, or whatever. But really, you have more better news than we have here in England, because when I go there and I hear Probably. something, I come back and I'll ask my kids, did you hear about yeah. us and such? They said, no, there's nothing yeah. on the news about it. There so definitely is censored, even yeah. in the smallest things. Yes, I, I know some friends of mine who listen regularly to Russian uh, international news in English and Chinese. Uh, You're getting more in English to the truth. And well, I think probably a blend, <laughs> a blend of all news agencies okay. might get you somewhere close to the truth of say something sensitive like what's, yeah, going, like what is, like what's going on in Iraq right now. Yeah, you know? what is the truth? You know, and how we'd ever know how much we're being allowed to know. No, no, it's all manipulated in the, in the interest of national security, and they they have to do that. Well, we can, we can understand that in a way, too. Yeah. But anyway, this is what you were doing, talking about the Blue Book mm -hmm. project, and you got involved with that or I read did, about I, it. No, I, I, read, I just read about it, that's uh -huh. all, yes. Uh, that later, I met uh, quite a number of people who were working for, for Blue Book mm -hmm. um, and other organizations, like CIA, for example, who, uh -huh. who had been investigating the, the subject uh, and debunking it. 
particularly debunking it, which they had to do. But you were still young in those days, too. Yes, well, I mean, I, I, I really started researching seriously in about 1961 after reading the Repelt book, and okay. then um, I'm also a professional violinist. So. I was wondering, I was going to ask you, what do you do for a living? That's <laughs> well, quite a contrast. Well, actually, I mean, I know as an author. A, I know I, you as a writer, but I, I didn't. As a writer, I, I, there have been uh, periods when I've earned, uh, you know, quite a lot of money at it, but mm. you cannot make a living. I haven't been able to make a living at it exclusively no. for, a, for a long time. That's I don't right. know anybody else who chooses No, that's either. why I try to tell people I lecture at writers' yeah. conferences, right. and they think you write a book, you're going to get rich. And I, think I know. No. If you want to get make money, don't write. No. It um, gives you satisfaction yes. and some money, but it's not. you can't make a living at it. No, and I try to explain to people, okay, you know, they look on my website, timothygood.co.uk, by the way. Yeah, we're going to give it out a couple more times. And, um, you know, they see best-selling author. And I did have several best-selling books. Now, yeah. there are best-selling books and best-selling books, Lloyd. I don't need to explain to you, but I think the listeners would be interested. Yeah, go ahead. You need to be on a best-selling book list for a very long time before you become a millionaire. Mm -hmm. Now, the longest I've been on is 13 weeks. It was good. I got good money out of mm -hmm. it. But if, if I'd been on, like, like um, Stephen Hawking, you know, the brief mm -hmm. history of time, I mean, he was like four years. Oh, I mean, yeah. he's a millionaire. There's you not see? very much like that. You so know? people don't understand that, but now they do, of course. At least your listeners do. So. Well, you know, too, they don't realize the books don't stay out there that long. No, Some shelf come, life. Yeah, shelf, shelf life, life is short. And a lot of them, what I try to tell the writers coming up, it's like a magazine. Yeah. It's only going to be out for so many. The copies are sold, or what they think is sold, yeah, they pull the book. Yeah. So that's all the time you have. And it may be a matter of months, and then the book is gone. Yeah. So anyway, as a, as a, a violinist, um, I started my career after leaving the Royal Academy of Music with the oh. Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, and I toured the United States and Canada uh -huh. in and you 1963. Were trained, you were trained in, in England? Yes, in, in London. London. The Royal Academy of Music was the last uh, training place oh. I went to. And then uh, I did a, this, I think it was 11 or 12-week tour of the States and Canada. This is a surprise. I didn't Alaska. know this side of you. <laughs> and interestingly, um, I was in Dallas, I think about a week before, the dreadful assassination of the President mm, Kennedy. 63, 63. And, and I remember that day very, very, they say everyone remembers. I was, they I was all in, know where you were on I that was day. in Fresno, California. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was this big debate with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra then as to whether we should play or not. In fact, we did play, and there were people really giving us a hard time about it. Others say, I'm glad you did. Mm. But we had to change some of the music, you know, to, to play some sort of sad funereal yeah. thing. And then I joined the London Symphony Orchestra mm. in 1964, and I was with them for 14 years. And that's quite an accomplishment. Obviously, these were sort of world tours and things, so I did a lot of UFO research. Oh, when you, were, when you were traveling with the orchestra, then you were able to. Yeah, yeah. That's quite an accomplishment, though, to be yeah. with the orchestra for that long. Yes, and I'm still playing. I'm still doing mostly concerts. After the symphony orchestras, because I played with, with quite a few, including uh -huh. the Mantovani Orchestra, which mm. I've had for 20 years in what we call the commercial scene, yeah. which is doing backing for pop groups, uh, yeah. and pop singers, and uh, television commercials, radio commercials, mm -hmm. and of course film scores. So I've taken a lot of films. And See, I went that route too. Really? When I was younger, but I was a singer. 
and I did the concerts and the, the light opera and all of that. So I know what you mean. Right. We had the orchestras that played in the big symphony halls, and yeah. I loved it. I yeah. loved the symphony and I loved the classics. Yes. But then you know we all. I don't know. Maybe you think it's because it is going along with the creative. To be a writer it's, in music, it's uh -huh. all creative absolutely. anyway. I couldn't live without music. I, oh, I it's the same way. I, I, I think it's absolutely... Not the music nowadays. No, well, it depends. <laughs> it depends. But, you know, really, but, great, uh, really great music, I think, is, has a, a healing... But I went the other way and became effect. a writer, too. But uh, I still enjoy the classics. But maybe it is something to do with the creative part of the mind that leads us into writing also with your the music. Could be. I never... Or art. I didn't imagine until around 1980, I think it was, yeah. that I would ever write a book hmm. on the UFO. And my first book was self-published uh -huh. with a lady called Lou Zinstark, who was a co-worker of the famous UFO contactee George Adamski. Oh, She yeah. knew him very, very well. She accompanied him together with uh, a Belgian lady mm -hmm. to the Vatican in 1963 when mm. Adamski had a private audience with the Pope. Ah, but, so they uh, didn't think he was crazy. They, well, the Pope certainly, did. I mean, he, he did actually, he, he was able to prove that he had this meeting mm. shortly before the Pope died. I mean, you know, like, like two, three days before the Pope died. But I remember the controversy around... Tremendous him. controversy. But he did see the Pope and pass a message which had been in turn given to him by his space contact. Ah, so he was able to do that. And having myself had experiences with beings that I'm convinced were from elsewhere... When did that happen? About the same time? Oh, gosh. Or what? Interestingly, yes. <laughs> the first one was in 1963. Uh -huh. And we were on that tour I was men mentioning with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. Yeah. And it was on a trip from... Gosh, where was it? I think it was Phoenix or Tucson. I think it was Tucson. It's hard to remember. To, to, to all LA, to Los Angeles. All I know is, I remember, it's 512 miles. And we were in a convoy of, like, three Greyhound-type buses. Okay. That had been charged, the you know, and they were very kind. On that 512-mile ride, we had a one-hour stop, which, you know, <laughs> so we managed to... And it, it, my first encounter took place um, in, in a restaurant when I saw a most extraordinary-looking girl waiting in line. So no, it wasn't a sighting, it was an actual uh, oh, being yes. a person, a being. Absolutely. In the restaurant. In the restaurant, waiting in line. Mm -hmm. She was with someone else. Now, people say, Tim, you know, oh, you, you just saw a pretty girl, you've had to do Well, she was pretty, but it was, the, it, more, it was more her general demeanor. Yeah. She was quite petite. She had a very pale, delicate skin. The sort of skin, you know, when you can see sort of blue veins. Yeah. Through the, the translucent. Translucent, exactly. Mm -hmm. But there was a remarkably alert quality about her, which it almost hit me. And I went back there, and I was alerted. And I already knew at that time. What about there the were eyes? These, were the eyes different? I can't remember. Um, I've had since had two other experiences where mm -hmm. I can remember. A great, they great about something more about the eyes? The eyes, yes. Tints or something. Um, but... I can't remember her eyes very well, I have to tell you, but... You think it's mostly her well, her demeanor? And yes, and the, descript I mean, the description matched one of Adamski's 
descriptions of one of the ladies on board. That he met out in the desert that time? Well, up in the, up in the craft, actually. Okay. I mean, he met uh, men and women, you know, from elsewhere, mm. uh, who were on the, the large motherships. And, or it may have been some influence from her, I don't know. Mm. But, anyway, I sent out a mental thought telepathy. I said, if you're from another planet, is there some way you can prove this to me? Uh -huh. So there was no immediate response. I mean, she had a, all these guys I've seen, the three in my lifetime, as long as I'm seeing them every week, you know. I mean, yeah. three experiences in my life. Yeah. She came out of line with this deadpan expression. I was with, with three other colleagues sitting to say, well, we got our food, and she did a fantastic low bow like that. Right to you? Right in front of me like that, and smiled with a sweet smile, and then deadpan face walked off. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. Now, thinking logically, do you think she could have recognized you from being with the orchestra? Or you, you know, you don't think it had anything to do with that? The scene you perform? Why me? You know, there's... I don't know. I'm just being logical. 70, 80 guys in that, mm. on, on that trip. You know, okay. We were at the table together. Hmm. I think the others... I can't. Rem I wish I'd, I can't remember exactly who was with me, but I wish the others, uh, uh, you know, could could remember it because mm. they were they were. Sort but of, you did send out a mental message. I had, and it was granted. And then in 1967, I was with the London Symphony Orchestra giving a series of concerts for Carnegie Hall mm. with the uh, the great cellist Rostropovich, mm. and. I was in what was then called the Park Sheraton Hotel, which is, I think, 57th and 8th or 7th Street, something like that. And he was very close to Carnegie. Mm. And I had spent some time, the, a few days previously, there'd been a few days off, I'd gone to, to Washington, specifically to Silver Spring, mm -hmm. to meet uh, my friend Madeline Rodifer, who was with Adamski when he took this remarkable color movie film of a craft ah. over Silver Spring, Maryland on February 26th of 1965. I've not seen it. I've only seen still pictures. The still pictures are better, actually, because mm -hmm. the film actually was, Madeline hadn't realized at the time that there was in it was for, for artificial light, oh. like the taking inside uh, <coughs> rooms oh, for parties and things, you know, with a professional flashlight and stuff. Okay. And um, anyway, it came out pr pretty well, but... Work had to be done by a guy called Bill Sherwood, who was an optical physicist, senior project engineer of Kodak, yeah. to get some fantastic uh, prints, color prints as well, which I've reproduced in quite a number of my books, okay. actually. And that's a, a whole long story. There were about four or five people there actually present when that happened, including United States government people who, mm. who were apparently in some kind of, of liaison, which is another whole can of worms we can we, we can maybe but talk I about. Say, do you want to open those can of worms, you know? Right. But anyway but this anyway is, this is when the second yeah, contact this is when the second I I had said to Madeline <coughs> with, uh, you know, because she'd had several encounters during the time Adamski was staying with her. He lived in, and, and died actually. He died in uh, not long after taking that film. Mm. 
which he did not do very well. The job was over, I guess. I believe so. And I think that, 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 that air display, if you like, of that craft over uh, Mrs. Rodifer's uh, front lawn was a way of saying goodbye in a way, you know. But anyway, Madeline herself, um, if anyone wants to talk to her about this or anything, she's, she's a telephone lady. She can't, she's, she's very arthritic and she can't, unfortunately, write letters easily. And, but if anyone wants to talk to her about She must this. be about pretty old by now, though. She's about 83, I think. Okay. And anyway, she had had these meetings with people. Mm-hmm. George sometimes introduced her to people working in Washington who were liaising with some of our government people, sometimes, okay. sometimes top-secret assignments and things. Mm. And I said, well, how do I get to meet these people? She said, well, you had an experience a few years ago. You know, why don't you try again? Why don't you just, you know, send out thoughts when you're in, back in New York? Well, we have any of you guys So I sat in the hotel lobby of the Park Sheraton Hotel in New York City afternoon, some, I, 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 not the court date, you don't like me, but it was in February of 1967, and I sat back in the city, and I sent out thoughts to say, any of you guys in the New York area, please come and sit down next to me and prove it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, I then sat back and relaxed. Of course, various people came and went. You have to be careful in the hotel lobby, you know. It's a very strange individual. Sometimes well, I know. Believe walk me. off the street. Anyway, finally, this chap comes in, and, and as you Americans would say, he, was, he looked like he was straight out of Madison Avenue. And he was. Oh, the do they still do they still use that expression? I bet that. Yeah, expression. I know what I'm, you mean. I'm terribly out of it place. means uh, you know they're really dressed, the suit and the tie and all of that. You mean he was immaculate? Yeah, immaculate. Uh, charcoal gray suit, white shirt. I remember the white shirt. Dark tie. I couldn't tell you color. It may be even he certainly wasn't black, but it was dark navy. Like a, like a very successful he had, business. He had very nice wavy hair. He, he was he looked tanned as that was that that was a natural color. Mm-hmm. Um, bluish green eyes. Um, he looked very serious, extremely intelligent. He had glasses on. I remember that very mm-hmm. well. But, but very fine features and everything. Anyway, he came and sat down next to me. Now you can imagine there's me sitting on the right side, looking out of. Uh, looking for somebody. And this guy comes and sits in the middle of the sofa next to me. Yeah. He's a little strange on himself. Yeah. Well, not really, but he did that. And then everything he did was kind of slow and deliberate. He had an attaché case and unzipped the attaché case and took out the New York Times, unfolded it slowly, went through the pages just like this. I'm, I'm demonstrating. Yeah. I mean, it was like a few seconds on each page. Folded it all slowly and deliberately, put it back in the attaché case, closed the attaché case, put the attaché case on, on, on his uh, lap here, and then just sat like that. So, in my mind, I said, right, if you're the guy I'm looking for, would you take your right index finger and hold it to the right side of your nose? keep it there. <laughs> and instantly, he did just that. <laughs> and he kept it there. Uh-huh. Okay, so I'm thinking, wow, you know, I'm going to get the secrets of the universe. <laughs> uh, uh, um, what should I do now? Um, yeah. He's going to talk to me, isn't he? You would think so. There was nothing. There was no more telepathic response. He just, just sat there. Uh-huh. I would say it could have been 10 minutes. It could have been 20 minutes. I don't know. I can't. I didn't time it. But then he got up, and he just looked at me for quite a while in a, in a very serious, 
um, kindly manner, yeah. not stern, not smiling. And then he walked and he looked into one of the display cabinets in the hotel lobby, and then he went out into the street. I never saw him again, but I'd recognize him if I saw him again. Mm. So that was... It was like it's a response, but yet he yeah. looked different than the woman. With the... Yes. Yes, well, you know, uh, oh, yeah. we're all different. But I you mean, know, what I've heard, too, that a lot of times is what I call a screen memory, where they can appear any way they want to appear, and it's not really the way they look in their normal state. I think that might be true, but in this case, I'm absolutely confident that uh, this man was highly advanced of the species that probably produced Homo sapiens. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced that we are a hybridized species. Oh, yes, I've written about this, so I believe I'm it. sure you have. What haven't you written? <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely believe it's it. my feeling, and, and, and um, we can get to talk about my latest book yeah, okay. shortly. But you know what I've been told, too, is see, they do live among us, yes. and they're able to exist because they have, they have, their organs have changed to where they can adapt to any kind of a of an environment, they can adapt to any kind of gas in the air. I, I, I think that depends on a number of things. I know yeah. that some of them um, need to get sort of re-acclimatized in their craft yeah. regularly. A lot of them live off of light in their craft. That's what I've found, anyway. I, I wouldn't know. I, wouldn't but, know. I, I have no idea. But they, they can appear human, and they said a lot of people would think they were human, but inside they're not really but I think they are. I think maybe they're the evolved. You know. Well, that depends. I mean, uh, you know, the universe is kind of big. And yeah. There's all sorts of possibilities. But in my latest book, I've now come out at the end with, with a theory that I've long really subscribed to, and that is that we, Homo sapiens, are not the first race on planet Earth. No, we're not. been pre-populated by other civilizations. We call it Lemuria, Atlantia, whatever. Oh, yes. Yeah. See, I've written on that whatever. Yep. all the way back to the beginning. And I've read a very interesting uh, book on, on Lemuria, um, which I actually have cited in some of my, my previous books. Mm-hmm. And I'm convinced that uh, people were living on this planet maybe millions of years before us. Yes. Hundreds of thousands of years. In my we, work, yeah. I've gone back to the beginning, so I know right. and there were many, many civilizations so, that went down. Atlantis was not the only one. Right. There were many of them that went down. Okay. And they upgraded us at some point. Mm-hmm. I'm told at Homo erectus stage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we are a byproduct. Yeah, we are. And I furthermore think, I, I furthermore think, you know, I've written, I wrote a book called Alien Base about sort of underwater and underground bases. And, mm-hmm. and in my last book, Unearthly Disclosure, I wrote about a lot more about that from, from very reliable sources. And I've written about that too, and I believe these things are real. I'm talking about government sources. Well, the government, well there is government bases also that are underground. Well, inside mountains. I agree, and I think there is a degree of liaison with a very restricted few in the scientific and military intelligence communities, but the point is, I think that uh, a lot of these beings, when we see their craft, they're not necessarily coming from Alpha Centauri or Beta Reticuli or wherever, which wouldn't make any difference because they, their travel is oh, they, almost I know, they come from, they go through dimensions immediately. Sure. 
I think they can manipulate space-time. They can. They do it by adjusting the vibration and frequency of the craft, so they can instantly go from one dimension to the next. I wouldn't be surprised in the same way that master yogis can go through walls by... Yeah, that's how they do it, by changing the molecules of the body. But So it's always occurred to me that these areas, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not convinced that the guys in these places are all that friendly, I really have to say, because thousands of people have disappeared, as you know. Thousands I have another story I've written about that, but I don't yeah. want to talk about mine, I want to talk about you. Okay, but the fact right. of the matter is that aircraft, and, and, and it's not just Bermuda Triangle, mm-hmm. there's the Great Lakes, which in the 1980s, yeah. there were more, proportionately more aircraft and ships lost than, than the Bermuda Triangle. Mm in the same period. But uh, I think what you're talking about is that many of them do come in and out of the water and from underground. Yes. Because they have been seen going in and into lakes. I think they either, either either they're extraterrestrial advanced races Mm -hmm. or or they liaise with extraterrestrial. I mean, we don't know what the extent of their liaison with other races is. Mm-hmm. I mean, but you, they, you probably know, but I haven't. They do have idea. bases on the water bases and I think, I think I've been told that some of them are very, very, very large areas. Like, like there are two large bases in the Pacific Ocean, which I, I wasn't given specific locations, but yeah. I've got a darn good idea. And there's also some huge bases in the outback in Australia, too. I've heard about that. I was in Australia last year, and mm-hmm. there was a presentation by a guy who's done some research into... into uh, I've been back to a, yeah. a little town. I was invited to come there, and I write about it, but I never wanted to give the name out, because mm-hmm. it's just a very small town. You go there, you think you're in the Old West. That's how mm-hmm. old-fashioned it is. But they, had, they said there's like a, an alleyway, they call it, over that town, but there's constant UFO activity. Mm-hmm. And it's like there's a vortex yes. there in a portal. Yes, right. Yes, I have. The I woman have there, 90-year-old woman, was the historian. Has been mm-hmm. keeping records for many, many years of all the sightings and everything yes. going in and out of there. So, mm-hmm. I believe this. You know, they would be back out there where nobody would see them. There are other, many other areas around the world. Um, the Devil's Sea off Japan, I think, is another one. The Bass Strait in Australia. Mm-hmm between Tasmania and Melbourne. I mean, a lot of stuff's gone on off there, disappearing, young pilots disappearing, and so yeah. forth. And, um, but see, you know, Brazil, all sorts of areas. We know these things. It bothers me when somebody comes up who's a beginner, and they've taken their first baby steps, and are asking these very simple questions. Do you mean you believe UFOs exist? I've been investigating this for 20 years, and we know. Mm-hmm. We know it exists. Yes. And... Uh, you don't have to prove it to us, but there's a lot of people out there who don't have the per- inkling of how important all of this is, right. how advanced it really is. Yes. Let me go back for a minute. You said the first book you ever wrote was a self-published. Called George, yes, called George Adamski, The Untold Story, and uh-huh. Lou, short for Louise Zinstag, who was a second cousin of Jung, the great uh, uh, psychologist, by the way, and she had conversations with him about the subject on, on many occasions. He was okay. very interested. And of course, his last book, Jung's last book, was, was called Flying Saucers. So among, he, he among did the, believe in it then. Well, he, what he wrote in the book is that, yes, there are psychological reasons why people have seen the mandala symbol oh. or you know, all sorts of other things. And, but he said the fact of the matter is that these things are not just verified by human beings. They're verified by sophisticated radar systems, mm-hmm. which means they must be solid. Mm-hmm. Therefore, they exist. Said UFOs per se exist, but it's not my job. I'm I'm a psychologist, and, and but at least um, he said they he were real. something he can't debunk yes. anyway. Yes.
But then that was the first book. That was my first book, and it we made it. We we divided. It did. It, it sold out. I did everything. I um, I did all the, the promotion, and I did going around all the bookshops around the uh -huh. UK. It's amazing. The first first shop I went in to sell it was Harris, and they said, "Sure, we'll buy six copies." I'm sure you did the same. <laughs> oh yeah, I. I've beat the bushes. I've done the whole thing. I know what you mean. But uh, yeah, it was it was fun. I learned a lot about the business. And, uh, and it's not easy. There again, there yeah. people think they can go out and make money doing this, mm. and it. A lot of times, you we call it. You you take to take money out of your own pocket to do it. Right. Oh, because yeah. they don't oh. pay you to come lecture. Oh. They in the beginning and. Yeah. Uh, you're trying to sell the book. All you care about is making a little money off of it, maybe to pay for your travel. I'll never forget. I was trying to do sort of like 33% discount, or whatever <laughs> it is, 33 and a half. Like, yeah. You know, that used to be quite common mm -hmm. back in, in, gosh, when did that book come out? 1983. Mm -hmm. But very shortly, you know, the big the big chain stores like W.H. Smith. Yeah. You can't get into any of that. A self-publisher can't do it. 50%, got to be 50%. Yeah, and self-publishers can't get into those anymore. No. But then how did you picked up from that by another publisher or what? Well, what happened was I... I okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I then wrote about Top Secret. I suppose that's in, in a way my most famous book. These are what you've been gathering this information in all your travels. I had yes, years and years, and that was published in 1987 with a, with a, okay. a, a, a forward by you know, Lord Hill Norton, the chief of defence staff. And so these were things, you said you traveled all over the world with yeah. your music and you were yes, uh, doing this stuff. research in the meantime. I wrote that book and it, it was uh, a bestseller. I, know, I think it was the number one bestseller in Australia at any rate. Uh -huh. and it was doing very well. But then it was published in, in the U.S. the following year. I did pretty well. And, Why uh, do you think they believed you so much? Do you think it's because well, of your reputation? First of all, let me tell you, that book had about 30 rejections. <laughs> I've been there. You've been <laughs> no, there. I've been That's there. And we all have to go through that. It's oh, quite common. It took, you can, you can't it took give me in, nine you know. years to find my first book. It wasn't published. until an agent, a literary agent, said, you know, I understand you've written a book, blah, blah, blah. You know, why don't you, why don't you uh, join up with my agency? And, yeah. uh, and, of course, you know, you do stand a better chance if you can get an agent. Yeah, there's somebody who can get you in, anyway. Yeah. But, uh, no, I know I've been there. It took yeah. nine years to find my first publisher. So, um, but that's a lot of people think they're going to get yeah. right off the bat. It doesn't happen. Yeah. But then that book is what made your reputation yeah. then, wasn't it? Yes. And then I followed with Alien Liaison. But you're a very careful researcher, too. I try to be. That makes I'm, a difference. I'm a fanatical researcher, getting getting my facts right. I'm that being, makes a being, difference. Being objective about them. Because you do something wrong, I mean, that destroys all of your of validity Absolutely. to all your work. Absolutely, yes. So. I've always told you, you have to do your homework. Yes. And it shows if you don't do your homework. Yes. Yeah. One mistake and they discount everything. Yeah. So that's what, they liked that about you, your research yeah. and your, your precision to detail, I guess. 
I guess so. Yeah. And the second book was uh, Alien. Alien Liaison, mm -hmm. which was uh, well received. I think that was a bestseller. But a limited bestseller, as we discussed earlier, yeah. you know. I mean, I wasn't making millions by any means. No, it just... But, uh, but it you get a reputation. Yes. That's why you can't do it with just one book. No. Nobody did, can. Then I did Alien Base, which which concentrated mostly on contacts with, you know, you hear people talking about the greys and the tools and the blondes and the Nordics and the yeah. now, now the, the, the reptilians. But quite frankly, you know, <laughs> there's far more different types of species have been seen yeah, over the years. Many. They're not necessarily all here at the same time, but passing through this particular mm -hmm. neck of the woods. And some very, very bizarre beings that don't fit the, the sort of general idea. Yeah, in my work yeah. I've been told some of them you wouldn't even think they were alive because they're so strange to our way of thinking. Uh -huh. But they are, they are living beings. I wouldn't be at all surprised. It's just like Star Trek and Star uh -huh. Wars, how they show all these different beings, and that's the really the way it is. Yep. They come from many different places. Yes. But um, that book was mostly about the, the context. Yes, absolutely. And also, also actually, the, the, then I came out with Beyond Top Secret, which was the sequel to Above Top Secret. with a lot more new information. It wasn't published in the States, unfortunately. But you, how were you able to get access to these records? I've got access to intelligence records. I mean, my, my speci one of my specialities within the UFO subject is, of course, military intelligence aspects. Mm. And, uh, so they allow security. you to... Well, you, any, I, I just, you know, you've had a, a Freedom of Information Act since 1966, I think, and, you, you know, hundreds of thousands, hundreds if not millions of documents relating to UFO material pages But have the been ones written. I've seen, they usually have it all blacked out, and a lot of them oh, are very hard to get into. No, a lot of them are very good. I mean, I have in my latest book, which, which we need to talk about. I'm I going think. to, yeah. Okay, I'll this. hold that. I'll wait for your... Okay, I was just wanting to get yes. your background, but... Okay. Okay, now, uh, but after these other ones, now after this is 19, the next one? No, 1996 was, was beyond top secret. Yeah. Then I produced in 2000 Unearthly Disclosure. Okay. Which was, again, mostly about the contact and the different and different types of abductions and okay. contacts and some extraordinary cases, like I did, I did six chapters on the... Creature, uh, I reproduced uh, color photographs of a creature taken in Italy in the, Ab the Abruzzi Mountains uh -huh. by a guy called Filippo Is that like a Bigfoot or is it a different kind of No, it's, uh, I, I haven't got the pictures with me now, but um, extraordinary creature, about 90 centimeters high, with, with very large eyes. It was obviously in trouble. It looked as if it had been burnt or something. We don't know. The arms were atrophied. Hmm. It was able to leap huge distances and made a shrieking sound. There was no communication. Makes you wonder if maybe something happened and it got deserted or left here. It does, it does appear to be something like that. And on, on one famous occasion, um, when this witness uh, was taking pictures with his Polaroid camera, got yeah. Polaroid pictures, which are superb, some of them. His grandmother, who I met, mm -hmm. came down. She had been terrified, and she stood by him. And uh, she was, after the way she talked about it, she was absolutely mm. thrilled. And, you uh, had six, six chapters, chapters on that. On just that alone. On that, and uh, I, I hired a, a forensic analyst who had done a lot of work for the police in imagery, uh -huh. video and particularly photographic imagery at crime scenes and bodies and things. You oh, know, okay. so, so he was able to make a lot of intelligent assumptions that it wasn't it wasn't fake. It wasn't from here. So that's an unearthly disclosure and I'm amazed. I mean I was in Washington the other day 
and it is it was in in borders in paperback. It's still there, and actually distributed. And it's around in the states, even though it wasn't published here. Well, then, how many books have you written altogether? Well, I did also a total of four books that I edited, like yearbooks. You know, I would commission people, say, uh, like uh, like Paul Dong, who's Chinese, uh, to do a, a thing on the Chinese someone from Russia, okay. Nikolai Yavadev, who did a uh, thing on all the latest developments in Russia. Over there, all over countries. the world, all over the world. Uh-huh. And those, they were very successful. The last one of those was published in this country. It's called Alien Update, and I think... I think mm-hmm. And then, then... But how many altogether have you written then? I think it's 12. Uh-huh. 11, I think it's 12, 11 or 12. Okay, I'm one up on you anyway. Oh, <laughs> okay, but okay, now talk about the new one. You said this right. has come out this in England. is Need to Know, and the subtitle is UFOs, the Military and Intelligence. I have never, ever worked on anything so hard in my life. It mm. really strained me mentally because... Why was it hard? Well, partly because of the, the, the complexity of the book, um, uh, also because... I simply wasn't able to assimilate everything in the allotted time. I, I foolishly gave a, a very optimistic a timetable delivery date. Ah, and I, know I And I, I could not do it, and they were saying, you've got to get it to, So I was, I was up sometimes starting work at 2 o'clock in the morning. And but I would have thought typically 6 in the morning I started, and it just went on, you know, I, I would get a break in the... Uh, I thought with all of your books, you would, with nothing left that you could find. This is totally new information, then. Not all of it, but a lot of it is totally new. Absolutely. I mean, I've gone back on some cases because I found out a lot of new information. There's stunning, stunning material. I regard it as my most important book to date. I have to say it myself. I'm sorry, but but it is. But don't we always think the book we're working on at the present time is always the best, the most important thing? Then when it's over, the next... If I'm honest, yes. Yes. I think writers feel that way. Yes. But um, there's, there's, there's a wealth of new documentary material in here, all sorts of things, right back from the early days. And thanks to um, a very helpful source, uh, John Andy Kistner, uh-huh. who was a former uh, state representative for New Mexico, so he represented Las Cruces, and he was also in the aerospace business. He's done a lot of research into some old things. I think I've heard about him. Yes, you would have done. He gave Linda some... some research material and me uh-huh. and Stan Friedman and um, I've put a lot of that in book, mm. in book and he helped me a great deal and wonderful and this is information going back to the early days starting in 1947 in May well actually the book goes back to the 1930s okay. officially that far back that far back it's like the Italian government um, recovering apparently an alien vehicle and having a lot of sightings mm. in the 1930s these but, are but things we don't hear about the most shocking thing to me that I discovered was that in May 1947, when Werner von Braun's team started firing off the captured V-2 rockets, mm-hmm. the UFOs were really getting interested and humming and buzzing all over White Sands area, mm-hmm. and they actually knocked several rockets out of out of trajectory. So uh-huh. And this led the military to redouble its efforts to shoot these things down, because you remember not long after Pearl Harbor in February 42, 1,430 rounds of, of uh, anti-aircraft shells mm-hmm. were fired at UFOs 
none was knocked down. I remember they talked about the Foo Fighters during the war. That That's another thing, and I've got details. These things weren't always just fuzzy, the Foo Fighters. They were sometimes very, very large. I've got uh -huh. details of sightings. But each side thought they were secret weapons for the, the other. other. They did, absolutely. But what happened? The Americans started firing at them, and they actually succeeded in knocking several down. Almost certainly one of them, one of which, or, or two, was, became the Roswell incident. And they were not just shooting at them, they were using what's called proximity fuses with, with guided missiles which explode when they get very close to the, to the target. Mm -hmm. And they knocked some of these things out. So they knocked them, them out without some of them, some of them, yes, some of them became very, very unstable. And the people, there are reports, I've got contemporary reports I've reproduced in the book. And aliens responded by knocking out hundreds, if not thousands, of our aircraft, including civilian airlines. Mm. This hasn't come out before. No, that's and, never been reported. And I've, I've got some of the articles I've reproduced in the New York Times, President Truman, all divergent inquiry. Mm. Newspapers reported like, like 100 crashes in one day of things where planes couldn't get off the ground. You know? These are things that maybe they might appear one time and maybe you don't hear about them again. Yeah. So they want to this went, this went on, and I've also got the Defense Department figures. Uh, for the American edition, anyway, which is coming out on, on June the 3rd. I'm going to talk about that, too. There were, between 1952 and 1956, 18,600 crashes involving high-performance fighters, the type that would be sent to chase UFOs. That's a huge number. Now, obviously, they weren't all due to UFOs. No. But 9.5%, that's something like, I think, 1,773, um, Sorry, 1,773 were due to unknown causes, and that mm. is the U.S. Defense Department statement. Mm. Well, I've investigated UFO crashes that I right. don't hear about either. Right. And I've tried to find somebody who might know something about them, but mm -hmm. I've had talked to the people who were there, yes. you know, who were in the service, and they were in helicopters and landed, and they thought it was airplane crashes, right. and it was yes. UFO crashes. Yes. So there's more than people. It was more yeah. than Roswell. That and I've also named, named a very important witness, a guy who was known as Fritz Werner. That was his pseudonym. In 1953, Kingman, Arizona, quite a famous case when okay. a flying saucer was picked up by the military. And this guy is revealed for the first time his real name. And I've, I've, I've reproduced a part of his CV, which is very, very impressive. And he was very. But I can see why. The government wouldn't want a lot of this to get out. Well, Can you imagine? The now I understand a great deal more. There's no way they could say, "Yeah, we've got aliens coming in and knocking and our planes out." All the these plans, planes down. No, they, they wouldn't mean, understand that. There was, and there still is, a conflict situation, unfortunately, with some of these species. I'm told some of them are dangerous. Also, I mean, I've got stuff right up to, to certainly right up to uh, O'Hare. Extraordinary incident in November the 7th of, of last year. That yes. will be in the American. But then how edition. could they possibly deny that? It was right there, but they were saying Ordinary. it could be. These are people who see the flights all the time. They knew it was not it was an, a UFO. Absolutely. And, but more and more people, have you, have you noticed, have come forward showing showing uh, little short video clips. And, yeah, and now they you can do it on your, your mobile. Yeah, the pictures are very good, but I mean, there what I've something. seen, absolutely, they were there. And uh, other witnesses have come forward. And uh, they've all they've all been. Uh, There's a lot more going on than people believe. Yes. 
But this book is called Need to Know, yes. and it came out in England. UFOs, it came out in England in hardback edition in mm. August of last year, but it'll be June the 1st, published by Pegasus Books. In America. New York. Pegasus Books, New York, and that's www.pegasusbooks.com. And it'll come out, he said it should have been well, out by allegedly, now. Allegedly, my publisher says it'll be June the 1st, that's what okay. it says, but um, I'm... I'm no, as a publisher, you, you never can't know. Stick to that. You don't know. You never know, particularly with the subject matter. Particularly since I've published a lot of sensitive new material, uh-huh. including, uh, for example, I spoke to a friend of President Kennedy's who was involved in the transportation of the president in 1961-62 to Tyndall Air Force Base in Florida to see alien bodies. I've got that story. Mm. The first time that, that that story has come out. Mm. But no, you don't hear and about that. To me, and I've, I've even included alien. You hear about Eisenhower and part of. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. About Kennedy being involved in these things like that. No. Mm. But uh, this will be a regular paperback in the States then. When yes, it's slightly normal, the sort of trade paperback they call it. Um, and I have the, he has like a book yours. in front of me, it was here, and it is a big book. It's a big, it is a thick book. It is, and there are a lot of new top secret documents that I've, that mm. I've reproduced. And it looks like it's, what, about five, six hundred pages? No, no, it? no, it's about four hundred. 460, something uh-huh. like that. And but it'll uh, be bigger whenever it goes in. That's what I'm talking about, yes. about the blacking out of That's the That's right, but I've got top secret documents reproduced which give a lot more information, including the famous uh, National Security Agency one. Mm-hmm. You know that's all black out, blacked out completely, and now they've declassified a lot of it, and it's published. Well, but this book, whenever it is reduced down to the regular size we sell in the States, it's going to be well over 500 pages, I'll bet. Unless you're going to use no, very I, no, I hope not, because I, I spent six weeks on the index. So <laughs> it would need to be well, well, Tell somebody uh, else to update the index, yeah, then. You I don't mean, want I've to do that. I've got extraordinary, extraordinary materials in this book. Absolutely extraordinary. You know, like... The airliner coming into airliners, two airliners coming into Dublin Airport in 2004 in January uh-huh. were harassed by flying triangles, and this was observed by the planes in the landing pattern behind, mm. even from five six miles away. Large triangular craft. This was at night. A violet color it was. Yeah. It had a strobe flashing on it, and it was harassing the plane in front, and it caused the outside air temperature to go up to 164 degrees Celsius. Wow. It damaged the plane. The plane couldn't, couldn't uh, the air brakes were, were inoperable. The plane was all found to be dented when it did land. It landed it land. in the end. People were, I mean, and this happened similar, not quite as drastic as that. Two hours later, that same night, again observed by other pilots. Well, now, one thing I do want to ask you, though, I just heard, was in Newsweek, it was just a one-liner, that France has now released all of their documents on UFOs. They said they said thousands well, and thousands it, of pages. It, it, here's the thing, you know, in the beginning, the, the sort of peg is that for the first time a government puts its UFO documents online. Nonsense. The Americans have been putting UFO documents online for years. Okay. Millions of pages. All it said was, you know, thousands and thousands of pages. It's not the first. Okay. It, it is the, the, the government's, like the sort of um, civil servants, UFO department 
they have released nearly all their records, thousands of pages um, you think on, online. There'll be some very interesting things there, but believe me, Dolores, the French military and intelligence are withholding many, many more documents, which it's will the, not be put on. It's the same as the ones you're looking at there, where yes. everything is blacked out. They aren't yes. going to tell you everything. No. They're going to withhold a lot of things. Course. But I saw that, and I was just wondering how much is going to be in there that's going to be of importance. Well, an awful lot. I mean, for example, the British Ministry of Defence released a 464-page-plus uh, document on UFOs called mm -hmm. Project Condine. Mm. And that was only only written in, the report was only written in the year 2000. I just got one, one sample mm -hmm. from it, classified UK's eyes secret UK eyes only. So that's interesting that the British Ministry of Defence at least, I mean, the whole thing is available online, 465. Well, I was talking to Lou about it, and he said, oh, they went online, of course, since everything's in French, you got to know French, oh, that, you can yes. see the documents, yeah. too. Yeah, so the Brits do it, the, the, the um, um, Brazilian government has, has released some documents. Um, certainly the Spanish, quite a long time ago, released top secret um, okay. Air Force files on UFOs. Okay. Before we run out of time, too, I want you that the book is Need to Know. This is a new Timothy Good book, and you said it will be released by June the 1st with Pegasus Publishing. That's right. And it will be on www.pegasus.com. Yep. Pegasus Books. Pegasusbooks.com. And I think it's sixteen ninety nine. Okay, it will obviously be with Amazon, too. It will obviously be with Amazon, probably for half price. <laughs> well, usually they mark it down. But if someone wants to get a hold of you, how do you want them to contact you? Well, I, I, I do have a website. So tell them about the website. Which is timothygood.co.uk. And your name and is G-O-O-D. G-O-O-D. Yeah, that's Timothy, right. It's all together. timothygood.co.uk. Because you're in England. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And can they communicate with you on that? Well, side? I don't, I, to be honest, I don't have an email because I tried having an email and I was so inundated. Oh. I, I couldn't do anything. Uh, it really cut, and I just, that's the end of it. So if I someone has any, anything really important to say, and, they're, and if they're really interested in me, finding it out, the best way is to, to write to the address I've given there, a care of address, okay, which is there on my website. To me, the snail mail, we call it, yeah. I, I don't have time to answer it anymore at all. You know, the letters they come well, out. The emails, I try to answer the ones that I think are the most important, but people don't realize they get upset because we don't answer immediately everything they send us. It's impossible. If we can't, they don't realize how much we get in one day. Right. And I try to pick out the ones that I think are the most important, mm -hmm. but uh, I, feel, I still have emails, but I, can, I know what you're right. talking about. It gets to be an overload. Mm -hmm. So there's no way they can communicate with you on your website. No. You don't want them to go that way. And no telephone number. You definitely don't want that. <laughs> no. So it'll just be if they went right to you through yes, your... Yes, there's, there's an address there on the website. In, in your post, on the website. In my address in the UK, yeah. There is an address to Timothy Good on his website in England uh -huh. if they want to write to you. But don't hold your breath about getting an answer. <laughs> Well, I I, use it. I don't have problems with letters. It's a lot of emails. I, I still I, I have still, problems with I still just can't answer them all. I guess. Let me call the snail mail. I yeah. have problems with that because I just don't have time. I've got stacks of it. Mm -hmm. 
And I try and tell people, don't be insulted. They just don't realize the amount of uh, work we have and the amount of contact we have. And people don't realize that. We don't sit home waiting for somebody to write to us, that's for sure. Okay, we're coming down to the time to stop because we started a little later because they were trying to make this contact. But is there anything else you want to say before we sign off? No, except that um, if people need, will write to me, you know, I will help them uh, as much as I possibly can and put them in touch with, okay. with, 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 with whatever, but uh, don't expect a terribly long letter. It's just not possible. No, it's not. We can't do it. Okay, well then, I think that's everything tonight, and Timothy, I want to thank you for being on the show. It's been a great pleasure. I really respect your work and what you're doing. Bless you. Thank you, Dolores. Okay. And, okay, then I think that's everything tonight, and good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>